0: I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about Mark Elias and the democracy docket. Tina Ramirez joins me in studio to talk about Loudon County, Virginia, cancel culture and more and media bigotry, Colorado and Georgia violence. And of course I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned.
1: Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth.
0: And Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You may recognize the name Mark Elias. He's an attorney in Washington, D.C. He's with Perkins Coie, one of the firm's deeply, heavily involved in supporting the Hillary Clinton farce uh, involving Trump-Russia collusion. But today he's in the news, or his organization's in the news, because he is leading the charge to convince the Democrat majority House, a very slim Democrat majority House, the House Committee on Administration, to agree to toss out of the United States Congress Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks, a Republican elected from Iowa's 2nd Congressional District Election confirmed, Iowa recounted, confirmed the votes, they sent her in. But Mark Elias is up there in Washington defending or arguing that Rita Hart, the Democrat who lost that race by six votes, ought to be placed in ought to be seated in Congress, that the Democrat majority should boot out the woman who won the majority by six votes and put in her place Rita Hart. The reason he says this is justified is that he has magically, after the election's all over, uncovered at least 22 more ballots. And he says counting those 22 ballots will give a slim majority to the Democrat who ran Rita Hart instead of the Republican who's already been sworn in and seated. The irony is kind of breathtaking. This is the Democrat party. And and by the way, Speaker Pelosi has announced, well, her comment was, it was only six votes by which the Republican won. So it's kind of, you know, it was only, she only won by six votes anyway. But they're actually seriously entertaining this legal, requir- this legal demand requirement that the Democrats seat the person who they now believe won the majority of votes because they're gonna count votes after the election's over, after Iowa certified the election, Iowa sent, you know, did all that they have to do, but because somebody later has found more votes, say they, that there is going to be, there's actually not only a uh, right, but an obligation of the Democrats to remove the duly elected Republican and put the Democrat in. The lawyer, Mark Elias, uh, is relying on Section 5 of the Constitution, which he reads, to empower the House and Senate to overrule vote tallies, because each body is defined the Constitution as, quote, judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members. So he's saying, because they've uncovered votes later, that the Democrat majority House should throw out the one who's been seated and put in place Rita Hart. I'm going to talk another moment about other things that the Democracy Docket Organization is doing run by Mark Elias, still a Perkins Coie partner. But in reading about this, I discover something I didn't know before, but actually this has happened in the past. Back in, I'm going to tell you, 1968, 1984. 1984, the Democrats also pulled this one time. They had votes uncovered after the election was certified, after a member has been seated. The Democrats pulled this um, in the 8th Congressional District of Indiana, saying that there was a, a, you know, bruising legal battle, bruising campaign. Uh, But the the Republican was seated, and in 1984, the Democrats did the same thing and said, hey, you know, as it turns out, there really were more votes than the Democrat. Found the votes late, and they actually succeeded in doing this. Whether or not they get away with this, it is... Ironic is a good word, hypocritical. We've just finished the campaign season of 2020 in which Donald Trump was making similar arguments. States certified the wrong person. The real vote count would give Trump the victory. But that was, not only did the Democrats in the House and Senate reject that argument, they actually talked about trying to remove from the Senate Republican senators who even questioned the idea who, who floated maybe we ought to let this vote go back to the elector back to the state you had state legislatures telling congress you know we actually think we certified the wrong outcome in the presidential election send it back to us and let us look at the electoral count again in light of all the fraud that was alleged and so even for floating the idea that maybe you should let the state look at the election again Republican senators were accused, uh, they were actually, there was a, an effort made to remove them from the Senate. House members, Republican House members, also vilified to a great degree for agreeing, for voting on some of those January 6 votes to send some of the outcome of the presidential election back to the state legislature. So somehow, if it's the Republicans who are questioning Along with actually the states involved questioning the outcome of an election, that is just practically treason, grounds for removal, certainly grounds to be vilified and and, uh, attacked by the left. But now you have an actual seated member of the House who is going to be potentially removed by the uh, very slim Democrat majority. Mark Elias's group, also, this democracy... In fact, we're going to have a guest. I think she's coming in town next week, and she is, I'm going to have her come and talk about it. But he created this group, this democracy um, project uh, group, and they have actually been the democracy docket. They were active in the 2020 elections, Mark Elias' group, uh, flying around the country and filing lawsuits, over 200 lawsuits, just last year, filed by this group in mostly Republican-majority states challenging election integrity provisions, challenging things like whether or not mail-in ballots had to be mailed in by a certain date, challenging the legality of standing state law, arguing that somehow it's unconstitutional, unfair, some other problem. They have been on the warpath to destroy election integrity. And of those 200-plus lawsuits his group filed, In most cases, he was successful. I'm not going to say I cannot believe it's because he had the better legal argument. I'm going to think it's because he had the better judges, the judges on his side. But this guy, this democracy docket guy, he's only begun to fight. Mark Elias is not just saying that now in this one special case, he's going to bring this, this argument before the House Committee on Administration. He's actually saying and actually giving notice ahead of time that the Democrat majority is going to use the power they believe they have under the Constitution to challenge other election outcomes, challenge other times Republicans are seated when the Democrats believe the Democrats should be seated. And he said he's going to be making those claims based on arguments of what he perceives as or is characterizing as voter suppression, gerrymandering, other reasons he's going to claim the election wasn't fair. And I do understand that what happened on January 6th related to the presidential election, and that is different from challenging who's seated in Congress. That is a distinction the left will make. But the larger point and the point to take away in today's first five, the left is relentless they will consider and they will move forward challenging state law designed specifically and entirely to protect election integrity. They will move forward trying to remove someone certified by the state of Iowa after a recount and a, I I think they even had a hand count in this race, certified, very close margin, by six votes. But these people are telling you they are going to bulldoze our American election system, they're going to bulldoze, continue to attack, election integrity law all over this country, anything that is put in place by legislatures trying to assure fair outcomes in elections. This is a one man wrecking ball, Mark Elias. Uh, he's actually often referred to as the most powerful Democrat not yet elected to an office. And some people say, no, he's actually far more powerful than many Democrats who are elected to office because the impact of what he is doing is simply election changing, and America changing. More on him and the democracy docket next week. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned before we started today, we have a guest. She's in studio. Lucky for me, she's in studio. She happened to be in town visiting uh, Tina Ramirez, a friend of mine. And I'm going to introduce her just briefly and let her kind of take away and tell you what she does, what she's all about. But she founded a an organization called Hardwired. And I do want her to tell you about that because it's pretty darn... She, she's just an amazing person. I'll let her type about Hardwired. But the reason I asked her to come in today was because of something happening in Loudoun County, Virginia, which obviously, you know, over in the East Coast, I had not even heard this story until I got together with her a couple of days ago. But this organization, what was uncovered in Loudoun County, Virginia, is essentially a group of parents, teachers, other school officials, making a private Facebook group and directly for the intent, for the exact purpose of attacking people who are concerned about critical race theory, who, ha- who dare to raise any questions about whether critical race theory should be taught in the public schools, whether there should be money expended in order to have that teaching happen. Anyone even questioning critical race theory were going to be the targets of this group, uncover this secret group on Facebook. And unfortunately for all of us, it's been exposed, but these people, their nefarious plans included undermining private citizens, parents, families, anyone who dared to question in any degree critical race theory. Talk about cancel culture. This is it. And Without further ado, I want to welcome my good friend, Tina Ramirez. Hi, Tina.
1: Hi, Debbie. It's great to be with you.
0: So glad you are here. Well, you know, I want to just like tease that story. But when you told me the other night at Mm -hmm. dinner, actually, about this... Uh, lawsuit and this uh, what happened in Loudoun County Virginia I hadn't heard that story and I'd love if you would just kind of lay it out more embellish more what was uncovered in Loudoun County Virginia
1: Oh I mean what happened was absolutely appalling and I think you described it really well So and it was actually a student that found this private Facebook group oh. a biracial student by the way which I think is important because he and um, he hasn't been become gone public with this but but he actually uncovered this private Facebook group that was made up of like you said a administrators, publicly funded individuals who are going after parents, targeting them in their workplaces and at their homes, posting their addresses. I mean, saying that they were going to dox them and hack their emails. It was pretty extreme what they were planning to do, all because these parents dared to oppose critical race theory being taught in the public schools. Now, I I mean, I'm a former teacher myself. So as we all know, as parents and, you know, the the right of a, to oversee your child's education is something that a parent has, not something that a teacher has. And when you send your kids to public school, you don't do it with the anticipation that they will, number one, be indoctrinated or that you will be bullied and harassed and intimidated and threatened. To lose your livelihood if you dare oppose the indoctrination of your children, it is absolutely absurd. I'm concerned for myself, for my children. As, um, as you mentioned, I, I came from Virginia. I live down in the Richmond suburbs, so this is very you know close to home, and it, it's extremely concerning because we see this all across the cu- country right now.
0: You know, the term cancel culture is, is used quite often, and and people, they kind of use it when they want to criticize somebody else, but they say, no, this isn't cancel culture. This is kind of standing up for what's right. So. But I want to talk about just a minute more about the Facebook group, what they were planning to do. They actually talked about, for example, this doxing. Actually, quick, tell us what doxing is.
1: So they were gonna, I mean, they were literally going to go after and harm uh, the, these parents in some way, whether it was by you know hacking their emails and misdirecting information, by posting their addresses and having people show up at their homes who knows what they were gonna do but we've seen this play out numerous times I mean I can't imagine as a parent simply because I oppose something and have the you know the guts to speak up that now I have groups harassing me in front of my home I mean you don't you just you can't that's not that's totally unamerican I mean I've seen this in authoritarian countries all over the world but the fact that it happened in Northern Virginia is extremely concerning
0: well there's one gentleman who spoke up quite a bit about it he was a a part of a pack um, and, and he was just basically saying among the things that they were threatening in this Facebook group was they actually used the term infiltrate other groups. Like kind of go undercover, pretend you're part of, oh, I'm supporting your PAC. And the PAC was actually designed, at least in part, to talk about why critical race theory shouldn't be taught in public mm-hmm. schools, what the danger of it was, and, and also to question you know, the theory itself and whether or not our tax dollars should pay for that. I mean, this is a guy and his group clearly one of the ones potentially to be targeted by these est- extremely aggressive, belligerent parents.
1: I mean, it, it didn't even included people that were literally posting their neighbors. And so they were going to go after people that lived in their neighborhood, literally, literally across the street. I mean, you for any I mean, this this is literally Soviet era spying, reporting on one another. It's. You know, for critical race theory advocates to say that we're here to uh, try to decrease racism and bring people together and help us all get along, I mean, what we're seeing here is the exact opposite. They can't, you know, the, the hoax is out of the bag.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I'd love to have you talk about critical race theory. Sure. We talked just a little bit about it the other day. Uh, but in critical race theory, it is it is the trendy thing. It is like the cool, the cool crowd talks about it all the time. And critical race theory is touted by its supporters as we're just trying to help people be able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes, talk through how we experience American society. And when it's talked about that way, you think, well, that's, that's what's so bad about that. You're, you're learning to be understanding. So what is it? What is it about critical race theory that you think is not a good idea? I mean, believe me, I don't like it at all. I've been all over yeah. it in the show, but I love to hear you talk about it.
1: So critical race theory teaches that you have groups that are oppressors and groups that are the oppressed and that the oppressed are morally superior to anyone that's the oppressor. And they essentially define these categories based on um, your race or some other external characteristics. So however they define the oppressor, then everyone associated with that group is essentially an oppressor. So white male, bad, oppressor, colonialist, And they kind of lump everyone in that category. And then in a classroom, what's happening is that they literally um, take students that happen to be white and it's not about empathizing and putting themselves in the other shoes, they literally make those children identify as inherently racist by the nature of their of their um, race, of their of their skin color. So regardless of who they are, what they actually believe, they automatically force them to identify that way. And so what it's done, um, and it, it ultimately comes down to the roots of critical race theory, which its advocates are very clear in stating it's, it's based on Marxist theory, which right. has a totally different basis for human value than what its advocates would like us to believe. I mean, Marxist theory is that your value doesn't come from your inherent human dignity, it comes from whatever, the, you know, the peop, really the people in power in a Marxist society say it is, which is-
0: assigned to you.
1: Right. And so human rights, which I've been teaching for the last 20 years, the constitution, which I've been teaching for the, last constitution, for the last 20 years as a former school teacher, these teach inalienable rights, inherent human dignity and value, that your value doesn't come from some external quality, the fact that you're a human being, you have value. And yes we should make people empathetic of the inherent human value of one another but you don't do that when you're forcing kids in a school classroom to somehow identify as an oppressor by nature of an external characteristic it's it's insane i mean my daughter happens to be biracial so i'm hispanic and caucasian her father was from africa so imagine my daughter in a classroom where she's forced to say my father was um, part of an oppressed group because of the color of his skin. My mom, because of the color of her skin, is an oppressor, even though my father abandoned me. My mother has been teaching human rights for the last 20 years and taking care of me. I'm half white and half black. The confusion that puts in a child, plus making them hate part of themselves, and then other kids in the classroom that have to do this, it's its its extremely confusing. It's dividing families, it's dividing communities. I mean, as what happened in Loudoun is a perfect example of, I mean, It is dividing communities. It's not, as they would purport, actually bringing people together.
0: One of the many things I think I mentioned to you, uh, we had a gentleman visit on the show last week or two weeks ago, Kendall Qualls, and he was talking, and actually another story I was telling a friend of ours who's uh, been active in speaking on this issue, a a black uh, adult guy who's just very successful, he's been talking about this. The idea that critical race theory, what it really does is it's, whatever they claim is supposed to do Mm -hmm. it divides it Mm -hmm. divides it divides people into thinking as you're describing if you're the white student you're told well you are an oppressor Mm -hmm. because of your skin color despite that no one on the whole planet earth ever shows your skin color but that's who you are inherently and then the other groups whatever groups are in the room are the oppressed and you started off your ability to connect or ability to relate and understand each other from these from these very divisive and mm-hmm. um, irreconcilable mm-hmm. kind of, of um, assignments to you, and then I always get to how do you ever go forward? How do you ever mm-hmm. get to unity or understanding when you start from that place? Well, you don't. You create tribalism, which is essentially what they're doing.
1: They're dividing individuals based on these external perceived qualities or whatever they want to impute on you, and it, and it's divisive. I mean it. I don't. I've never seen anywhere in the world where teaching one group that you're morally superior as an oppressed group to another is going to somehow create goodwill amongst the yeah. majority population Shockingly, to then to yeah. then want to you know uplift the status of the minority that's being oppressed or the vulnerable group. It's it's just. I mean, it's insane to think that that works. I mean, I've seen this firsthand. So I I work in Iraq uh, through my organization, Hardwired, um, and Hardwired is all about. People are inherently made with a freedom of conscience, freedom to believe what they want, and that's, you know, we believe what's how you're hardwired. Um, And so we work in Northern Iraq with teachers across the North that live in areas that were controlled by ISIS. When ISIS came in, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, they brainwashed over 600,000 children to be terrorists, to think and believe just like them. Sound familiar? So these children were brainwashed of no fault of their own, and they are the next iteration of ISIS unless they're taught otherwise. So my organization's gone in, we have an agreement with the government to actually retrain all the teachers in the area and the children. And what we've shown over the last five years in doing this, um, you know, since ISIS came in and working the refugee camps, and now as people have gone back into Mosul and the Nineveh Plains, is that children that are taught inherent human rights and human dignity, uh, inalienable rights, the equality and dignity of people based on an internal humanity, not some external characteristic, that that teaches them to overcome their fears of one another, their hatred, their bias, their maybe misconceptions, and it allows them to begin to work together towards um, a space where they can all have very different opinions or beliefs, but coexist and not kill each other. And so if you wanna overcome violence and significant conflict, like we've seen in Iraq, which is probably the worst iteration of it, The best example is not to use hate to teach more hate and division. It's actually to use human dignity, inalienable rights, to teach children how to overcome those fears and learn how (coughs) to live together. So I've seen what works. Like critical race theory, isn't it?
0: Okay, I want to do one more thing on critical race theory, then I want to get to talk more about hardwired. Okay. So don't you think as parents, I mean, this is an obvious question, but don't you think as parents, parents should be should have input at the schools, should be able to object to things like critical race theory, because what's really happening to schools mm-hmm. is, your value system, you're trying to impart your children mm-hmm. at home is being undermined by the schools. And so it seems to me across the country, I would love to see more parents speak up and say no to any of this being taught in our schools. I mean, isn't that the way to go?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think that this example is that instead of just talking about what happened in Loudoun County, let's stand with those parents that were getting ostracized and attacked. Let's actually speak up, go to your schools. I can't tell you how many times I've been hearing over the last year from, from parents within my district in Virginia um, in just in the two different counties where I live in the suburbs of Richmond that I mean, I've seen emails from principals that are saying we want to be more inclusive. And so we've been looking at our inclusion and equity programs over the last year in light of Black Lives Matter and everything that happened um the 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 riots last year and we've decided that here are a couple of articles you should read so they sent them and i've seen this in like literally a Mm -hmm. high school around the corner from me articles that were written through the southern poverty law centers teaching tolerance programs that literally cite the importance of teaching marxist theory Now, Marxist theory undermines human dignity, undermines any basis for actually helping people get along. It's inherently racist and intolerant, but they are teaching this in the schools. And so parents need to number one, be aware of what's being taught. Number two, if you see something like that, go to your schools, or if you don't see it, go to your schools and make sure it's not being taught. Find out where it is, because here's the thing. I would say nine times out of 10, none of this has anything to do with the state standards in your schools for what should be taught. Um, I've looked in the Virginia state standards. I have not seen anything that says Marxist theory should be taught. So I think number one, parents need to be advocates, need need to really say, well, this is inconsistent with state standards. It's inconsistent with my values. It should not be taught. And then they need to provide alternatives. And that's really the second thing that needs to happen.
0: Yeah, providing alternatives and actually it's going back to very basics. I know one of the things that as President Trump left, one of the final um, kind of things he was pushing uh, was he was using the expression patriotic education. But I believe, or how I would interpret that is, America's founding ideas, mm-hmm. equality, the idea of the Declaration of Independence, rights from God because you were born, each individual inherent value, worth, right to live your life, mm-hmm. life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, those basic things, they counter what Marxism teaches. And I love that you're pointing out that critical race theory is rooted in Marxism, because I think that there, there are some groups that get drawn in by it, because I think all it's really pushing is helping understand each other better and it's not what it's pushing and it's dividing our society very very intentionally really bad yeah. okay i'm going to turn to your group so you formed a group called hardwired you've already been alluding to it a little bit mm-hmm. but tell us what the group is and then i wanted to have you tell our listeners all the places you've worked because you're an amazing you're like a force of nature but first tell <laughs> what hardwired is okay
1: so hardwired is an organization i began eight years ago um really to create cultures of respect for religious freedom around the world in america we often can take for granted that we have this freedom and obviously right now with these ideas of critical race theory. It's coming to the head where we realize our freedom of conscience is really at stake in so many ways in the cancel culture. But around the world... This freedom is just, it doesn't exist. It's a foreign concept in most countries. And so we see global conflict exacerbated around the world. And often at the root of it is a lack of respect for the basic inherent freedom of conscience, freedom of belief for people. So, China, you know, right now, I mean, they're indoctrinating people in re education camps. They have no place for anyone that kind of bucks the system or dissents from the communist worldview. Uh, you know, Uyghurs are literally having their, their organs harvested, and it's a genocide oh, there, yeah. all because of this lack of freedom of conscience. I mean, it's really the canary in the coal mine or the linchpin for all other freedoms, in my opinion. So what Hardwire does is we go into really difficult places like Iraq, Sudan, Nigeria, Northern Nigeria, in fact, where religion related, Northern Nigeria, Nigeria, where Boko Haram is active. We go into these places where religion related conflict is rampant. And we identify either um, constitutional areas or legal areas that we can help reform and bring Bring changes to to embed greater legal protections for religious freedom, or we go into the education systems and we often work with the government at that level to um, to transform their education systems and to infuse a respect for freedom of religion, pluralism, these ideas into the education system so that they can help counter um, extremist thinking, radicalization of their children, and so we can help stabilize the country. So we do we have two prongs: the legal and the educational.
0: Okay. How do you get permission to go? I, I, would, I mean, some areas of the world, I would imagine the government would say, actually, we're fine with repressing religious freedom. No, thank you. How do you get permission to go?
1: Well, I mean, that's a great question. A lot of organizations have zero impact or influence in these countries, and a lot of it stems from, first, I, when I was a congressional staffer, I, I directed the, well, I founded and directed the Bipartisan International Religious Freedom Caucus. So I worked with a lot of foreign governments on issues and challenges and finding ways of navigating them. But then when I left and I started Hardwired, I wanted to find more positive ways of how can we not just use the carrot and the stick, but the carrot of like, let's find ways, this is in your best interest to have societies based on freedom of conscience. We've seen here how America is this pluralistic nation that because we're founded in these these values, as you said, it works. Um, this marketplace of ideas is good for business. It's good for the health of our society, for policies, for you know, for everything. And so in these countries, we go in, we meet with the governments or we work at, a, we work at both the top down and the bottom up level to, To build coalitions that understand hey this is in our interest this is valuable and then we work through that to affect the changes that are most needed in those nations
0: so tell us other countries besides iraq where have you done this so i mean i think
1: uh, well south sudan right now we're helping parliamentarians in south sudan rewrite their um well they're involved in the constitutional reforms that are taking place they're going to have their first national elections next next year but they have zero public education i mean 80 percent of the people in South Sudan are illiterate. They've never experienced a free and fair election. And so there's a huge need for just basic civic education and understanding of what individual rights are, how to, how to um, have, have individual agency in a society and have your voice heard. And so we are working with parliamentarians across South Sudan to educate the, pop- the public and help them then vote for a free and fair government, which we hope will be a great model for many other countries in Africa.
0: Do you have staff on the ground in these countries so that you leave and they they kind of keep working, or how does that work? We have a very small staff.
1: There's just a few of us within the office, and then we. Our model is that if we can't replicate it and build a local sustainable um, base of support in a country, then we haven't done our job. You know, most organizations want to go into countries and replicate themselves in the country and or build themselves up. That's not our job. Our job is can we create local sustainable um, solutions? Because ultimately, you know, if you're fighting the government of Sudan or, you know, challenges in Nigeria or Iraq or whatever, it has to be an Indigenous-led effort. It can't be an American-led one. And so our goal is how can we within your cultural religious, historical context, create a culture of respect for freedom of religion, freedom of conscience that can be embedded in your culture that you can advocate for. And so we train them how to do that so that it's it's indigenously led so we've i mean it's been amazing because last year we were in morocco with uh, the king of morocco host the his um, senior advisor hosted us with leaders from across the middle east and north africa showing how these educational programs that we've been doing in iraq and so many other countries are really the model for overcoming intolerance and extremism in the region that it's not you know what we're doing here which is wasting our time on critical race theory that it's actually teaching kids human dignity human value and just you know basic uh, human rights and so that's the kind of thing that we're doing but we do work through governments because for it for education to take place it has to really happen from the government level now with the laws we work with um, we do work with government parliamentarians but we also work with lawyers and advocates and different religious communities so in northern nigeria (laughs) We've worked with both Muslim and Christian lawyers because it's predominantly Muslim in many, many states in northern Nigeria where Boko Haram is active. And so there, you know, when you work where a persecuted Christian is in the minority, you have to have someone in the majority to defend them. And so in Northern Nigeria, it's fascinating. We created the first legal teams that are um, inter-religious between Christians and Muslims actually defending the rights of all, people of all faiths that are being persecuted and oppressed and really beginning to turn the tide against this uh, just intolerant, vicious cycle of hate that was taking place in Northern Nigeria.
0: I think this is the most mind-blowing thing. I'll tell you one reason, I was thinking while you were talking, so often when you, we here in America, we read about countries that have great division. Uh, It is often uh, Islam versus Christianity or some other groups like that. And honestly, I think a lot of us feel like, well, you know, probably the best thing we could do is get behind the good guys. I mean, somehow pick a side or let them fight it out. The notion that you could change their thinking not choose a winner, not choose which one is probably more right, but just just say both or all parties involved could have their thought, their expectations uplifted. I, I mean, it is the most. I don't know what word, word to use: healing, uh, uplifting. It's a beautiful thing. It's if you, hopeful if you can actually do this.
1: Yeah. So I mean, just as an example, in in Iraq, critical race theory would teach that one group, as the oppressed, is 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 morally superior to the the oppressor, right? So through their logic, if when we were in Iraq we taught that ISIS bad, all Muslims bad, Yazidi Christians good, yeah, morally <laughs> superior, I'm sorry, but the Yazidis and Christians are literally on the brink of extinction. Their very like ability to to exist in Iraq is dependent on the right. majority the logic of CRT just does not work. I mean, yeah. and so it's it's insane. We would never do that. We would never do that if we thought about that way here, but we are doing it here. So, you know, in these, in these societies, we really have to work across the board with majorities and minorities to help them come to a, a place like America did at its founding where we recognize, hey, we may not all agree, but we are going to live in a space where everybody has the freedom to disagree, yeah. the right to be wrong. Uh, you know, we're not gonna tell you what to think but how to think like these are the basic principles of any free society that there's a marketplace of ideas that are challenged discussed um and and that's what makes societies better uh so in these countries we're not trying to tell them what to think or what to do we're just simply telling them that when you allow for this vibrant public space where everybody is respected on the basis of their dignity where these ideas and thoughts can be challenged where you can find ways of building societies in the interest of everyone, your society will be better off. You won't have the same conflict and destabilization that you see. And so, yeah, so countries are buying into it because they recognize that they don't want basically groups like ISIS coming in and destabilizing them because their communities are not resilient against that. And so creating resilience is better than, you know, being overtaken
0: (laughs) so your organization again i want to actually ask uh, you to share with our listeners your website and Mm -hmm. is it do you run entirely off of donations or is this government funded how do you do this
1: no it's not government funded at all so it's all through donations and grants and um yeah and collaborations but but it's hardwired global.org and uh so you can go on the website and find out more information there i think one important resource that your listeners may be interested in is that last year we we developed a whole series of children's books on religious freedom that we've published and so three of them are on the website two more in the process of being published but these were based on lessons that were written by teachers around the middle east that we worked with and then turned into stories and they're really beautiful they're you know from all over the world and so they portray these really interesting perspectives of religious freedom but that resonate with a lot of americans in our history and i think they'll really value them and so you know going back full circle when you're trying to challenge critical race theory find the books and take them to your school and say if you you know this has never worked, Marxist theory. It's actually led to more human suffering. But teaching these values has. We've seen it in some of the worst places in the world. Why don't you use this as just a first step? So
0: That is amazing. So, global dot. I do urge everyone, please go to those websites, check out her website, check out what she does. Honestly, it is the most, I first heard about this several years ago from you, and it was just so novel. I mean, I I really, it's just the most novel approach, I think, that I'm aware of that's actually functioning and working. So, that's a beautiful thing you form, and thank Thank you for coming in today. It's great being with you. Rachel, So glad you could be here, folks. So, that was Tina Ramirez, and I really urge you to read her website. I understand what she does. It's novel and, and very, very, I don't know. Like I keep thinking of the word healing, uplifting. It is moving, it's making progress for the world. Okay, one last topic for today I want to hit. I call it this media bigotry, Colorado and Georgia violence. Everyone's been following, of course, the very, very sad, unfortunate incidents that occurred in America recently, uh, one in Atlanta, Georgia, and one in Boulder, Colorado. I'm not gonna go off on the Second Amendment today. I may come back to that issue next week because I know that um, President Biden has been talking about, well, he might just have to fix this whole uh, gun issue himself with an executive order. Then he say, no, maybe we'll have Congress do it. I don't know what he's gonna do. I'm gonna leave the gun issue to the side. But I wanna talk about how harmful it is to American society, the way the media covers the assumptions they make the headlines they create the, the the way that they try to portray these stories to the american people and it ultimately is so not just dishonest it is dishonest but it's deeply divisive and harmful to our society so first i want to talk about what happened um in um, the unfortunate incident in atlanta <clears throat> and in atlanta you likely know there was a man who had apparently severe mental problems, um, who got involved in a a shooting. He engaged in a shooting, which uh, he went to two different uh, massage parlors. And in those massage parlors, he um, had um, gone there many times, he went back with a gun, and he ended up killing people. He killed, I believe, a total of eight people, six of them being Asian-Americans. These were Asian-owned massage parlors and so right away the the media story was that this guy had was anti-asian he had bias against asian americans and that's why he did it and so there was a, you know, an instant uh, kind of a cottage industry sprung up overnight, oh my gosh, we have all of this horrible um, anti-American, uh, anti-Asian uh, bigotry and it's finally showing its ugly head. And I want to just tell you a couple of facts about this. First of all, I am sorry for every person who loses their life in any such horrible incident. I'm sorry for the victims, I'm sorry for their families. I don't want things like this to ever happen. I am not, uh, I am not unmindful of how painful this is for everyone involved. But our reaction as a society, the reaction of media, is extremely harmful and more divisive and, and just flat out wrong. So I want to just mention, starting with the uh, situation in um, Atlanta, that the, this guy who was arrested had been under treatment because he was a sex addict. And he blamed, in his confused head, he blamed these massage parlors for either causing or in some way fomenting his sex addiction. So he's off base. He's he's not a healthy thinker, put it that way. So he's blaming these people, these uh, businesses, because of his own problem. And he did commit this violence. It was horrible. Glad he's arrested. Glad he's going to be prosecuted. But nothing in the case actually suggests he did this because the victims happened to be Asian. There's, no, there's nothing in the record, nothing when you go talk to the family, nothing when he was interviewed, nothing that people are aware of in his social media postings, nothing that suggests he committed this crime because the people, the victims, were Asian. But the headline for many in media, they cannot resist making it racial and ultimately making it anti-American, trying to depict the American society as deeply, horribly racist, deeply divided on the lines of race, filled with people who act out of racial animus you know, all the time, that we're barely surviving day to day because of the level of racial animus. And it's just not true. It's not true in this case. And there should be more pushback against the media for the way this incident was characterized. I'll tell you, and, and even the whole argument that there is this alleged uh, you know, rampage of or, or great upticking of violence against Asian-Americans is also untrue. And I wanna just share some facts with you. You saw, for example, you may have seen the New York Times headline uh, that was something really egregious. Oh no, the Washington Post headline. Anti-Asian hate crimes have spiked 150% since the pandemic. Well, I mean, when you say percent, that sounds like, oh my gosh, 150%. Here are some uh, numbers for you. First of all, what they're talking about is they include violence against Asian Americans in the study they are citing, includes things that are like um, perceived slights. Not violence, perceived slights, like you may have, you know, said something that someone else felt was insensitive, and maybe you did. I'm not claiming America is free of racism. I understand racism seems to be part of the human condition, and and I think America, on the whole, on balance, in large majority numbers, is a good and noble country filled with people who try very hard to love their neighbor as themselves and to not judge people by the co- by the color of their skin, but instead to deal with people. as Martin Luther King said, "Judge by the content of their character." back to the asian percentages that are being touted out there um, there's this group by the way that put this study out there the center for the study of hate and extremism is at cal cal um, cal state university at san bernardino so the numbers that they're talking about the anti-asian incidents in america jumped from 49 in such incidents in this country of whatever we are 340 million uh 49 such incidents in 2019 to 122 instances in 2020, meaning 73 extra incidents, more incidents than the previous year in a country, 79 more, 73 more incidents in a country of 340 million people. This is not, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm the first one to call out racism. I can't stand racism, racial intolerance, bigotry. It's horrible. But to have headlines like we've been treated to by the left, you would think that there was an actual pandemic, so to speak, against Asian Americans. The facts do not bear this out. Not only as to this incident, in, in Atlanta but also as to the numbers that the left is relying on and there are just um, I mean that you can go on, and on with all the numbers that they've come up with the New York Police Department they had another headline the number of hate crimes involving Asian American victims reported to New York Police Department jumped to 28 in 2020 from just three in the previous year so again and the number of people living in New York City in a city of 8.4 million they're talking about 28 incidents in 2020 versus three in 2019. And I'm telling you, part of this is, the, as a the left wing in this country works to divide people along the lines of race, is why they push critical race theory. The idea of pouncing on a story like this which was terrible and awful, and I'm glad the person should be prosecuted. And we can talk about all day long what changes, if any, should be made in gun laws. My guess is none, but we can talk about that. But the idea of of the media choosing of all the factors they could have talked about is trying to hone in and claim that anti-Asian-American bigotry led to this situation. I was going to weave into this story, and I'll just tell you. um, I I guess I'm going to drop it for today, but I'll tell you very quickly that at Harvard, which has an ongoing litigation by a group of students, claiming essentially, it's not just students, but students are part of it, claiming that there is bias in Harvard admissions uh, where, and they do at Harvard, their defense, when they were sued about bias in admissions um, processes at Harvard, the answer of Harvard is not, oh no, we're not discriminating based on race and ethnicity. The answer is yes, we are. But we, Harvard, claim it's justified. We say it's justified because our overarching goal is not to you know, be harsh or unfair to any particular group. It's just to create a, a more diverse, uh, broadly diverse, and deeply diverse student population. So that case is actually about to go to the Supreme Court, or it's actually, uh, they made the application for cert, and so now we'll find out if the Supreme Court is going to take this case. Lower courts sided with Harvard, said, yeah, you can go ahead, and it's, it's, as I say, they will acknowledge that there is discrimination based on um or the impact of their policy means that fewer asians who are far more qualified than others who are accepted fewer asians get in and it's because they are trying to have a more diverse student population there Case in the lower court, the district court, and the federal appellate court sided with Harvard, say, "Yeah, it's a good motive. You can go ahead and discriminate." Interestingly, the Biden administration appears to be headed towards siding with Harvard, meaning the left in America is going to side with the entity that's discriminating based on Asian American, uh, discriminating against Asian Americans. But somehow at the same time anyway it, it's a big mess i just really want to say in this case and uh, this particular case that it was just a wrong false narrative from the very beginning but what this guy did let's quickly contrast with colorado you like you know it just recently happened in colorado in boulder city colorado we had a man uh, who had who unfortunately engaged in a very very violent attack in a supermarket called the King supers uh, supermarket ended up killing ten people nine customers one police officer and there was a mountain of media quick coverage because he was also arrested and wasn't killed by the police the shooter in this case not killed by the police. So instantly, all of left-wing America pounced onto Twitter saying, oh, well, if this attacker survived, he must have been white, must have been white because police don't kill white people. So if the survivor, if this killer survived, he must be white. As it turned out, this shooter in the uh, situation in Colorado named uh, Ahmed Ali Aliwi Alissa is a, an Amer- an immigrant from Syria. He is Muslim. He hates Trump. He is anti-Trump, uh, pro-ISIS, you know, anti-American, Syrian Muslim immigrant. And as soon as his actual bio came out, and all of these lefties who've been saying, oh, he's a white guy, he probably survived, they quickly pulled down their tweets, said, ah, never mind about that. And, you know, I, I want to raise the story again. Again, it's the most horrific thing imaginable. You think you're, you're out on your, wherever that was, last Wednesday, I think, um, you know, out in the grocery store, I'll be home by five, gonna cook dinner and you run into this. It's a horrible situation, but the media makes it worse in a whole range of respects. Number one, in this case, they were quickly assumed that all sorts of, and I could read you a bunch of tweets. I won't do that because I run out of time, but I do want to say the tweets from media figures, left-wing figures, quickly pouncing on, assuming the guy was white, and assuming he was just a, you know, that uh, they're, the allege the mass, the number of mass shooters is supposedly disproportionately white. Another fact I discovered, by the way, if you actually look at the data, it's not true. I mean, mass shootings are horrible. I hope there's never one again anywhere on the planet Earth the rest of, my, rest of time. I mean, they're horrible things, but actually there's a center that studies that about the, the uh, racial composition of people who engage in mass shootings, and the racial composition of mass shooters matches the racial composition of America. Meaning, no, white people are not more likely to engage in mass shootings, uh, proportionally speaking. But back to the Colorado situation, the instantaneous Pouncing. In fact, Ilhan Omar, our famous uh, member of Congress in Minnesota, quickly attacked in Minnesota, from Minnesota, this Colorado situation, claiming, oh, I'm sure it was a white guy because they let him go or they they didn't kill him. And then she had to back up and say, I never mind about that. I really raise these things. You know, no one wants these things, obviously, ever to happen in America. Everybody wants to have. Wants to have a better, more perfect, more understanding society. Not have his instances of horrible, horrible conduct. But the media does not help anything at all by the endless assessment, the instinctive assessment of every issue. Of it must be racial. Who are we going to? Who can we blame? Who, <clears throat> which uh, which sort of racial tension can we further? Uh, can we further divide America along racial lines? Can we further create suspicion? Can we further create? Uh, you know, follow through on narratives. So I'll tell you, the media follow in the Atlanta situation. It was a white shooter who was killing Asian victims and they falsely made an accusation of racism with no evidence because they liked that accusation. They liked it because to call it racist in the Colorado, Colorado situation, the media assumed a white person had done it but as soon as it became clear that it was not actually, it was an, America, it was an immigrant to America from Syria, uh, a Middle Eastern immigrant who, had, uh, who appears to have been motivated by hatred of America and, and hatred um, and following a ISIS kind of teaching. Uh, when that angle came up, um, the, the, the answer of media, in fact, uh, Facebook, quickly pulled down his entire Facebook page. As always happens these days, someone already has screen grabs, have all of his postings, which were terribly anti-American. But so in the case of Atlanta, they created a motive that didn't exist. And in the case of Colorado, they denied a motive. They try to hide a motive. They won't want Americans to talk about a motive of whether or not the, this guy's very pro-ISIS mentality led to the conduct, which we all are watching. I do this show because I love America. I want America to be free of this ugliness of racism. I want America to be a better and better country. America is, and I want to I want to fight back against the narratives the left is endlessly creating about America, lies about the goodness of the American people, lies about the assessment of the American people. On balance in this country, individuals of every race, ethnicity, and national origin are shaped by, in great degree, by the ideas of the founding of America, by the notions of the idea of America as founded in the Declaration, the notion that we all have rights from God because we were born, that we are inherit, we have these rights and the government's job is to protect them. We have the right to live in freedom, including freedom of religion. We have the right to be, live our lives, a life, liberty, pursuit of happiness in the way we choose. The whole concept of America's founding actually created the good and noble culture America is. When forces in this country on the left work so hard to silo Americans, to identify them based on their inherent characteristics, which nobody ever chose. You just are what you're born wa- as, but to silo people then to pit them against each other, whether it's through critical race theory, other assessments, other, other uh, narratives and diatribes you get going on, it is deeply harmful to this country. I'm not saying America's perfect. I'm not saying that racism does not exist. Of course, there is racism in this and every other country in the world, and there's racism that resides in the hearts of small percentages of people of every race, skin color, national origin. It's the nature of the human, unfortunately, the human condition. But the fact is, America does better and has done better since its very founding in creating a better and more perfect union because we value and respect the idea of the individual, the right of the individual to live in freedom, to live with the rights, the God-given rights that they have. And that's what America really is. And we are under, at this era in American history, direct assault from leftists in this country who derive political power by dividing America by assigning silos to American citizens and telling them, this is because of the skin color you were born with, this is who you are and what you are, and that is an ugly denial of the great uniqueness of each individual, an ugly denial of the greatness of America. It is really incumbent on individuals who love this country, love the promises of freedom from our very founding, it's incumbent on you to speak up in your communities, your societies, as we spoke about earlier, the critical race theory, which is an ugly, divisive theory, making its way into public schools in America. If we don't root that out, it's going to is going to manifest itself later in America in a more divided country, more suspicious country, more intolerant country. America does not deserve to put up with this kind of thinking being taught to our children and as adults, each of us has the obligation to fight back when you hear ugly narratives, lies, fight back against the media that presents false narratives, that works every story into somehow a narrative that fits the left wing view of America, the ugly America, the hateful America, the racist individual citizens have to fight back. Both stories are horrible. They're awful. We're going to have both, both individuals, both shooters involved, prosecuted. But America is harmed by the fact that the media tries so hard to contort truth into fitting the narratives they want. America doesn't deserve the way the media characterizes us. But one way we each can fight back is speaking more truth about America. I close this show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So, we start our day today. Matt the Wonderful has us. Yeah, Mark Elias and the Democracy Docket. Um, Mark Elias, Perkins Coie Law Firm. Oh, I could even. This guy was heavily involved in the Hillary Clinton Steele dossier. We could talk a whole show about that. Elias' democracy docket attacks voter ID and other election administration laws that reduce election fraud. He argues they're unconstitutionally restrictive. 200 suits filed prior to the November 2020 elections, largely successful for Elias. Frankly, his team ran circles around his opponents. I'm sad to report. Elias is now leading an effort in the U.S. House to disqualify Iowa Congresswoman's election and signaling the use of this tactic to unseat future elected Republicans. This is hypocrisy on steroids. Using the House to dispute state-certified election results while at the same time arguing for expulsion of U.S. senators for disputing state-certified election results. The left is never about principle. The left is about acquiring power Good news. The democracy docket is now being opposed on a more organized basis, and you'll hear about that next week. I believe a great guest coming on talking about how we're going to fight this. And on Atlanta and the Colorado shootings, Atlanta shooting a crazed sex addict takes out anger on massage workers he blames for his addiction, killing eight of whom six were Asian. Media lie. Shooting evidences anti-Asian violence. It's all Trump's fault. America is deeply flawed. The truth absolutely zero evidence of racial motivation actual statement from the perpetrator denies any race-based motivation and from the people in his family interviewed america's record of asian assimilation is extraordinarily um, extraordinary and good though the biden administration is to signal support of harvard's overtly anti-asian admission policies the colorado shooting disaffected muslim with pro-isis leanings and overt anti-trump hatred media lie Scrubs the perpetrator's own statements evidencing Islamic influence of his conduct. Malignant mainstream media lying on full display doing extraordinary harm to America. Fabricating a motive in Atlanta, hiding and denying a motive in Colorado. This is why the press really is the enemy of the people and why that resonates with Americans. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time.
1: Can you hear us now? America, can we talk truth about America? Can